on today's episode of the Read Option. I am joined by Scotty Miller, Brian Sanvito. Once again, the boys are back to help me break down everything that y'all need to get ready for Super Bowl 55. We're talking matchups. We're talking X's and O's. We're going to go into a lot of the gambling side of this as well. It's going to be a really fun show. We're excited for that. After we're done talking Super Bowl, we dive in to the news this week, the return of the NCAA video game that EA Sports is going to be making once again. I'm very excited to have that back in all of our lives. We're going to break down the a little more on the Stafford and Jared Goff trade, as well as talking about some of the uh, you know, inequities when it comes to the coaching hiring process in the NFL and the Rooney Rule and kind of how flawed that whole situation is. Before we get into that, I just want to say thank you to anybody who has you know, given us a chance here, listen to the pod, like something on social media. I'm telling you, every single ounce of support really, really does mean the world. So thank you for that. And for today, sit back, relax, enjoy, get your fix, because the newest edition of the Read Option starts right now. Alrighty, let's bring it in, everybody. We got episode number four already of the Read Option podcast, and it uh, has to be the most exciting one we've had to date because we are breaking down Super Bowl 55, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. Uh, it's one of the high, most highly anticipated Super Bowls we've had in a while. Uh, we haven't really had a great Super Bowl as far as competitiveness uh, probably since the Eagles game, the Eagles Pats game. So I'm excited for this one. And we're going to be breaking it down with my man, Brian Sanvito and Scotty Miller boys. It's been like a week and a half. How, how are we doing? I feel like we haven't ta- talked much. Vito and I were on, we're drunk FaceTiming uh, over the weekend, but that was about it. Yeah. Well, I was with Vito on the weekend. <laughs> yeah. So after I saw Scott on uh, Friday night, we went to a nice dinner and um, that was a great, great time. Happy belated a song. That was, uh, that was really fun. And then, uh, and then, FaceTime Jeff drunk because I'm like, hey, Jeff, I actually talked to your sister, which like for anyone who doesn't know, um, I was about to say I went to college with Amy, which I always forget. But anyway, <laughs> I went to college with Amy, even though I didn't. And uh, and Jeff is her little brother. And um, we talk, Jeff and I, uh, you know, we talk weekly with this pod. And so it was so funny talking to Amy and then, um, you know talking to her a little bit and then obviously had a drunk FaceTime Jeff to catch I was getting I didn't tell you this Vito but Amy was sending me snaps of the two of you guys and she was like dude Vito's like in love with you like I think Vito might actually be in love with you so I love you too Vito oh thanks man I I love you (laughs) it's a mutual thing amongst all of us here to be perfectly honest obviously we got love Um, but this is uh for for everyone I've never met Jeff in person which adds to this which is the funniest shit ever yeah we've been as we've gotten as close as we have through podcasting and football which is why we do it right so speaking of football stark transition there from platonic love to football uh let's dive in to I, i all right so we have a lot of different places we can go here to start um but unfortunately, I think the obligatory thing we have to do, obligatory, that's the right word, is to talk about the quarterbacks. Because no matter how you slice it, we're talking about the most accomplished quarterback of all time and the quarterback who at least has the expectations for what he can be and what his career can look like are as high as any quarterback we've ever seen in football history. So right off the bat, we don't know fully. They're positive, uh, you know, signs right now for Mahomes' health. His, they said his toe is almost back to 100%, which is 
very good if, if you're a fan of the Chiefs uh, and just a fan of a good football game. But right now, I just want to start off. Who would you rather have in this game? Take everything else aside. Take context. Take uh, coach. Everything else. Just here's your quarterback. Which one are you taking? Well, Go to con- it, Vito. I care about you. I care about you. Context of the Super Bowl, I'm taking Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. I thought you were going to uh, go the other way. <laughs> no, no. I, I I believe in him as a leader, and I think his mentality and difference. Now, Mahomes is the same thing, and I, I believe in him too. It's just, um, you know, the house always wins kind of is the feel here. Uh, I know it hasn't always happened, but for me, I got to go with Brady and just the experience of being there. I mean, think about this. He's been in – you know, so many game drive winning situations in Super Bowls that like that just pressure and, and having that awareness uh, and experience, let alone playing at home. I think it's going to just be something uh, really to see. And and I know it's another context, but I think either way, I would take him because it, it doesn't matter who's around him. He's still going to get it done. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, man. I I, I want to this to be like the uh the nfl film story where the uh the uh the old goat the uh the guy who's done it his whole career and the the up-and-coming quarterback uh who seems to be turning into what tom brady was 20 years ago um albeit in a different style but uh the the passing of the torch kind of story you know um where uh where mahomes beats brady and all of a sudden Mahomes, that's the the line in the sand where we're the we're in twenty years we're talking about oh Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. Um, I don't I don't know, man. That's that's a that's great for NFL films, but I I uh, I would caution anyone who's thinking that way to uh, look at Tom Brady and so, see that what Tom Brady has done. So here's Tom Brady. here's here's kind of where I fall, right? And I'm not diminishing anything. In regards to Tom Brady, he's the, uh, undis- he's it, the undis- No, I'm gonna do it, Scott, because I care the, about you. He's the undisputed goat, right? But here's the thing: we're not talking about Josh Allen, who had never played an AFC Championship game, right? Um, you know, we're not talking. We're not talking about an inexperienced guy on the other side. We're talking about a guy who just won the Super Bowl last year, who has now played in three AFC Championship games and is about to play in his second Super Bowl. So if and I'm not saying by the way and through you know had a comeback winning drive in the Super Bowl as well. So you know he has experience doing these things. It's not a unbelievable talent that's unproven versus the savvy vet. It's two guys who have experience. Though I'm not going to say that Mahomes has the same amount of Super Bowl experience as Tom Brady. I'm not that dumb, but he does have a, a lot of experience. And so at that point, I look at it as all right. He's shown his entire career. He's got the clutch gene, basically. You know since the time he stepped into the league, he's won an MVP. He's won a Super Bowl MVP. And he's, you know, it comes down to me, if experience can be even or somewhat even on both sides, who is the more talented quarterback? And I think I'd rather take Patrick Mahomes. I think I'd rather take the guy who can create with his legs and and put my money on there. Now, we add the context back in, and it becomes a totally different story. Right. And one of the most important pieces of context is the fact that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be without both of their starting left and right tackles. So they're working with a bit of a a patched up offensive line right now. It's it's now it's an experienced one. They they have uh, Stephen Wisniewski, who's been kind of a utility guy on the offensive line throughout most of his career. He was on. 
and, and not only that, Scott, he's played in now, including this year, three out of the last four Super Bowls. So, and he's won, he won with the Eagles in 2017, 2018, and he won with the Chiefs last year. So they're not completely without experience, right? And they're not completely without guys who can make a difference. Um, but you're also going up against two of the best pass rushers in the NFL in Shaq Barrett and JPP, or at least one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. Uh, and that's a really troublesome nightmare. And it's interesting too, because in how the NFL has adapted over time defensively, you, we've seen a lot more three, four, we've seen a lot more exotic looks. You know, I, I remember when the, the Ravens lost to the chargers, when Lamar was a rookie, I think, or maybe it was his second year in the league. The Chargers played like six linebackers at a time who are all these like hybrid guys, right? So we've seen defenses evolve over the years. This matchup is between a traditional forefront and two traditional style defensive ends matched up against the tackle. And that's a really fun kind of throwback matchup that we haven't seen in a while. A team that is just really good at edge rushing from a traditional, you know, four, three style defense. And it's not only that, Jeff, it's, it's how they're going to be attacked on the defensive side uh, without those tackles, right? Because um, I know you're saying the multiple fronts and, and how they're going to get attacked here. And, and it's also going to be interesting to see a very aggressive coach uh, in Bruce Arians. Right? He's one of the most aggressive coaches offensively, and that bleeds over to the defensive side. So Top it's going to be too. Yeah. And so it's going to be great to see, uh, you know, an aggressive coach. Um, not that Bill Belichick wasn't, but with Tom Brady slinging it, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. I mean, given you brought up earlier the highest scoring Super Bowl of all time, the highest yardage in a game ever is the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. And in that case, Brady was was slinging it. He lost, but he was slinging it. And I'm excited to see that version of hopefully him and uh, that defense really kind of attack Mahomes because I want to see Mahomes roll out. I want to see all these playmakers have to make plays to win. I don't want this to be a cakewalk like we saw, you know, a couple weeks ago. I want to, I want to see this uh, be a competitive game down to the end. And with these two quarterbacks to our main point, both of these guys in the fourth quarter, if they're down, you can damn well bet they're going to lead a, a scoring drive. And I think it's going to be a high scoring fourth quarter, fourth quarter over for sure. Mm, I like that I, call. I, yeah, I do too. But I like the idea that, that, the pressure where um, where a battered Green Bay offensive line couldn't hold that 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 forceful defensive line from Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship game. The fact that you're going to put Patrick Mahomes on the run that's usually where he's best though, um, and and I feel like he's he's the kind of quarterback that once he gets out of the pocket um, he can attack you. It's like a triple threat in basketball, right? You got to shoot, pass, or or dribble, right? Mahomes can either pass the ball uh, midfield or, or mid-range or dump or throw it deep. He can dump it off to uh, to Kelsey, who's probably sitting two yards upfield that he's going to flick it to, or he can take off and run. Uh, the, the toe is going to be a question mark uh, as for the latter portion of that. But, um, but he still moved well in that Buffalo game. Like moved, yeah, he, exactly. You can tell he wasn't 100%, but he moved better exactly. than you think. And that ultimately is the risk that you run you know, it's the old adage in football, you live by the blitz and you die by the blitz, you know, and it's bled into basketball now too. you know, you live with the three, die with the three, but for Patrick Mahomes, the way that, and, and this has become like the cliche thing that they used to say about Tom Brady was, well, if you can rush four and, and help collapse the pocket from the middle, 
you're going to have good success, right? And they, everyone's just like, oh, well, just follow the blueprint of the 07 Giants and the 2011 Giants. And it's like, well, those guys had Michael Strahan and O.C. Urmanura and Justin Tucker or Justin Tuck. And uh, no, so I'd like to see Justin Tucker on that line. But like they <laughs> had like really, really good defensive linemen that allowed them to do that. Now, Tampa yeah. Bay has that, but they also blitzed uh, Aaron Rodgers a good amount in the NFC Championship game. So Where, if you're going to take the risk and blitz Patrick Mahomes, you do have to remember since coming into the league, he is the number one quarterback against the blitz. And, yeah. and it, but, but and it also works against get, Aaron Rodgers. So it's like, yeah, they're going to have to get creative with, uh, with their scheming. Like Todd Bowles is going to have to really dial up some, some weird looks um, to, to fool Patrick Mahomes. That's well, it, for sure. And that's, you're getting at the right point. It's not just the pressure. It's how you disguise it. Because when you're going at somebody who's great against the blitz, like Josh Allen took a huge jump up this year. And the reason why is because he was identifying it pre-snap way earlier and getting to his check down um, or attacking deep down the field. When he realized like we, I got one-on-one and it's a blitz and I can just three-step drop and sling it. So it, it's going to be really important to see how Tampa disguises blitzes how, and pressure not only comes from that, the defensive line stunts, we're going to see a lot, try and confuse those tackles on the outside. We're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of that, I think. And that's where you can have an inside linebacker, even whipping around the outside as a D end is crashing in and, and get a free run at Mahomes. Like I said, you, you want to flush him left, but for some goddamn reason it doesn't matter it's Patrick Mahomes he still makes it happen but uh you know it'll be cool to see how, how they attack that offensive line now for all of that being true and it is like Todd Bowles is a brilliant defensive coordinator uh, he's one of the best defensive minds in football right now I, I personally believe he does a really good job of of you know kind of playing jump rope with that line of how aggressive to be you know he's really good at that he kind of has a good it's almost like a play caller on offense right because you're calling defensive plays too and you kind of have to have a good pulse of what your team's strengths are and, and also a good pulse of what's happening in that specific game. But on the other side, for the Chiefs offense, they're just as creative and just as terrifying when it comes to how they can scheme things up offensively to cover up you know, certain mistakes or cover up certain weaknesses that they have, like not having your starting tackles. Now I was telling you guys before the show, I was doing some all 22 film to do some like, you know, X's and O's breakdown. And McCall Hardman had broke a 60 yard run against the bills last uh, in the AFC championship game. And it was a really, really big play. And the way it was designed was so brilliant and creative and taking the way that we conceptually think about, uh, you know, football and offensive play calling and play design and just completely rerouted it because the difficulty level of this play that they ran and how smoothly they were able to execute it is mind-bogglingly impressive. So they're in 11 personnel, which for for those of you who don't know, means that you have one running back on the field, one tight end and three wide receivers. They had two wide receivers stacked uh, on the left side, tight to the line, the other wide receiver on the right side. And Travis Kelsey was in, was on the right side on the line. They ran what is essentially a fake counter and around reverse. And Travis Kelsey gets moved into motion from right to left. And he does this really kind of, it's weird to see it on a football field because it's so non-traditional, but as he starts to, you know, shift left the defensive line, everyone shifts down because they're expecting counter. And then as the ball snap Mahomes under center, Kelsey jabs, right. And basically just spins around and starts trailing out into the flat on the left. 
on that. At the same time, running back goes to where he's supposed to go on a normal counter. The left guard pulls, which is what you norm pulls to the right side, which is what you would normally do on a counter. And linebackers are supposed to follow which direction the guard pulls. So the guard pulls to his right as if they're running counter, freezes the inside linebackers. Now at that time, the wide receiver on the right, which was McCall Hardman, goes back for the end around. The right tackle reaches all the way across the field, five yards deep, and seals off the right inside linebacker. They were playing a, a hybrid version of a 3-4. So they had two inside linebackers. He seals off the right side. Your right guard blocks down on the defensive tackle. Your center pulls to the left in the opposite direction of everyone, where basically everyone else is going. Your left tackle blocks down to fill in the gap that the left guard had when he pulled to the right, blocks that D-tackle, and then pulls after that, which, again, this seems like minute stuff here, but for a left tackle to be able to pull that off, and it was Eric Fisher who is not going to be in this game, um, but for a left tackle to be able to make that block is extraordinary. Meanwhile, he's pulling out to the left. The center's pulling out to the left. Your two wide receivers who were there both cracked down, so they had Byron Pringle. Uh, uh, I think he weighs no more than like 185 pounds. He uh, cracked blocks and cracked back blocks. The defensive end, a guy who probably has at least 75 pounds on him, does so successfully. Tyreek Hill, who's a great down the field blocker, seals off the safety. And now you have Travis Kelsey as a lead blocker, your left tackle and your center as a lead blocker with one cornerback and the safety from the far right side of the field trying to cover all of that distance. Mahomes turns around, flips it back to McCall Hardman, and it's a 60-yard play. And it is, again, like – the amount of moving parts there, and, and that's why Mina Kimes had a really good uh, uh, summarization of this the other day that I was, she was on Daryl Morey's podcast. And she was talking about how the quarterback is the most dependent or, you know, context dependent position in football. And we've mentioned that on this pod before that play is a perfect example of how many things need to go right in order for a play to actually work the way it's designed and how many different moving parts need to happen. And as, as long as they have Andy Reid scheming that stuff up for them in Kansas city, uh, they are going to be a force to be reckoned with, even with two tackles. And as, as this week has gone on guys, I've, I'm really starting to think the chiefs might blow this one out. Really? Blow out? Really? That's interesting. Well, I'm, I'm actually interested in this because I, I have a couple stats for you. Um, and th these are pretty interesting uh, to kind of back up a couple points that Jeff has been making this whole season, especially on all these pods that we've done. It's that chalk usually holds the NFL. Jeff said that a lot. And I have a couple stats and, and Casey's the one seed, right? Tampa is a five. And what people forget about this, there's only been since 1975, five teams that are fifth seed or lower to make it, just make it to the Super Bowl. That is new England in 85, the Steelers, their magical run in 2005, which I think a lot of us remember the giants in 07 green Bay in 2010. Really? Um, yeah. And what's crazy is there's uh, you know, and as, as we go on, there's been none since then until this year with, with Tampa. Um, and on the flip side, there's always been a Super Bowl with a one or a two seed. Um, the only two seeds to ever meet each other are once. There's never been a two versus two or a three. There's never been anything like that. Really? So one seeds dominate uh, in, in terms of all this. And, and in the winning percentage, it's very skewed. And, and you get into some numbers because um, 
uh, of just, you can't wait it by six seed and, and you know what I mean? All that stuff. It's a little, a little wild there, but the point is, is that a lot of these teams have a lot more success and it goes back to the bye week you know, Casey had that buy. And I'm wondering if right now having an extra one here, um, if that, how that affects both teams, but I do think, uh, it's interesting. We're talking about injuries and on the Casey side and with Mahomes and his foot uh, and, and, and some other positions. I'm interested to see what players that are injured and playing on Tampa's team look like. And the point is, is I think they got some and they're not really talking about it. And we're going to notice it in the game when Levante David, for whatever reason, is one of the fastest guys out there and Devin White can't cover or even touch Travis Kelsey. And you're like, okay, normally I know you keep up a little bit better. You know, is he nursing a leg? There are some unquestionable things or there are some questionable um, injuries that we're going to see being played through and they're going to have an effect on the game. And, and that's where the one seed versus a five seed makes up. And then another point is that, yes, I could see what you're saying, Jeff, we're being a blowout and, and I'm, I'm happy to, you know, provide a couple stats to say why it might happen, but I'm betting on Tom Brady. So uh, I'm, I, it's going to be hard to, to, again, keep one team out of it with these quarterbacks who can both come back from down a lead. Um, but to your point, if Brady plays like he did two weeks ago and throws a couple, three picks, there's no way. Um, turnovers, you know, turnovers, turnovers are going to matter. Are not all of those five seed or lowers that you said, did they not win the, the Super Bowl? All of them in from 2005 on did. The New England in 85 did not. That was against the okay. 85 Bears. So, like, they had no shot at all. It's oh, well, when you do yeah. a Super Bowl shuffle, it's hard to, to beat that. And what are you um, going to do? Uh, but you're yeah. correct. All of those teams since 2005, Pittsburgh in 05 beat Seattle. The Giants in 07 famously beat the Patriots. And then in 2010, the um, Packers beat the Steelers. That's crazy. <clears throat> and none of those teams had Tom Brady either. So guess what? And I'll, I'll, even, I'll even take it one further real quick, just to hit on this stat. Um, it, this is, this is actually what I think is, is absolutely crazy. There have only been, um, they'll, they'll look at this and you know, ones and twos I'm going in pretext here from before this year, because it doesn't really count where we have a seventh seat on each side, but before this, um, there were only a few teams that even made the Super Bowl that played on Wild Card Weekend. Well, like, Tom so Brady was that. one of them, right? Well, with the Patriots, seven, they have fifteen. Fifteen out of those those all those teams since '75. So you're talking about wow. um, you know 45 years of Super Bowls, and and not that many of them have even played on Wild Card Weekend. So. Uh, it, it's really special to see we're doing, we're seeing this with Tampa and the craziest fucking thing is that they're playing at home. Yeah. It's something we didn't say when we were doing the storylines pod last week is just that like, of course the year that we get a suit, like a home team makes the super bowl. It's when like none of the teams fans can actually go. Now there are going to be a, like a, I think like 25,000 people. Um, I don't, know if, I don't know if that's our standpoint. Yeah. I don't know if that's open to just the public. I know a lot of them are supposed to be first responders and, and, you know, people who have been on the front lines during COVID. Um, I hope, I hope Bucks fans get a chance to go and do it. It's so we've been saying it forever. Like they got when Minnesota was so close when they were in the NFC championship game against the Eagles, you know, that was going to be in their new stadium too, the year that they broke it out and how cool that was going to be. And then, you know, it always seems to fall short in the conference championship game. And then, yeah, the one year that now look, the Super Bowl, 
historically is not a great environment to play because it's a lot of rich people who can afford those tickets. It's a lot of corporate seats. It's a lot of celebrities, you know, so it's not necessarily your traditional, you know, home playoff game. Uh, but this year it's going to be even less traditional. Uh, you, you said something there, Vito, that I want to hit on. And that is the injuries that Tampa Bay has, because right now, not only is Levante David questionable, we don't know if Jordan Whitehead or Antoine Winfield Jr. are going to play. And those are their starting safeties. And so you're telling me that then they have to now guard Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill without either starting safety. The, the entire purpose of safeties is to literally be the last line of defense. Like that's why they're called safeties is because you're supposed to be the guy who doesn't get beat over the top. And now there's a chance that we might have backups in there guarding against arguably the greatest deep threat that we've ever seen in Tyreek Hill. And all right. So then let's say they adjust way over the top adjust and say, all right, we're going to make sure that no matter what, we're going to play like super deep. We're going to play three deep the, the entire game because quarters, you can't play quarters against these guys. If you, if you drop back into four, that's when Travis Kelsey like really, really thrives. And that's what Buffalo tried to do a lot last week and Travis Kelsey just absolutely lit him up. And they did that to try to prevent Tyreek Hill from going up. So to find that middle, you kind of have to go three deep. And even if they do end up doing that, or if they go quarters, you're still going to be having Travis Kelsey, you know, driving over the middle, finding holes and, and finding openings, which means the only real thing I can think of as far as what Tampa Bay could do in that context to try to slow down, you know, both of those guys because ultimately you have to you can't let either one of them beat you you have to stop both of them the only things they can do is create a lot of pressure force a turnover or two and Devin White has to pretty much guard uh, cover Travis Kelsey man-to-man the entire game I I don't know and I don't think you can do that I, I don't think you can do that and still win a game I think it's asking too much of a defense that is really really good but will be down pieces well, you go. That's a good point, though. But you go on the other side, and Kansas City plays a lot of those that quarter too. And their best interior linebacker, Willie Gay, is out for this game as well. So that's going to be a problem. I'd be looking if I'm Brady. I and who am I to tell Tom Brady what to do? God forbid. <laughs> Throw it to Scotty Miller. Do it. I'll, I'll be open all day long. Um, but no, I mean, uh, with that with that being your 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 best linebacker, if you're Kansas City. I, if I see that and I'm Tom Brady, I'm going, oh, great. So I'm getting Cameron, Brate, and Gronk involved early and forcing them to, to play press. And now I'm going to go over the top to Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Scotty Miller. Um, yeah, well, I, so, I think for both teams, it, it goes and, – and maybe I'm – again, I'm feeling like it's going to be a shootout. That's my kind of feel. And um, it goes back to – I'm glad we kind of talked a little bit about it, but um, – uh, before the pod, but you know, NCAA football is coming back or college football. And we'll get into that a little bit, but it's a strategy that we used to have. And in, in when me and uh, my best friend used to play, um, especially when you're going up against the best guys, which right now you're going up against the best team. It's the Super Bowl. When you can just score and both these offenses can score on defense, there's something to be said about, Hey, we're just going to do zone blitzes and make them erotic as hell. And you got to throw it up and we're hoping that one of our guys got some press and you're throwing it a little too far out and we got zone and we got our eyes on the ball. And if we get two turnovers this game, we're going to win. 
and we'll score almost every time we have it on offense. And I think Kansas City's obviously set up a little bit better to do that to yeah. Tampa uh, than the reverse. But again, I, it's just going to be interesting to see if either of these quarterbacks uh, press it, throw some picks, anything like that, especially with the secondary and coverage, um, you know, help that we just described that's needed, especially with some injuries. Yeah. See, well, I, just, I, don't, would... I don't see a world where Tampa Bay slows down Kansas City's offense. If they're fully healthy, that's a different conversation. Uh, I think they'd be good enough to – and, again, this is why I highlighted at the top of the pod Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett. Because, if look, they had five sacks against Green Bay. If they have five sacks against Patrick Mahomes, you know, it could be one of those situations where you're like, if you told me before the game that they sacked Pat Mahomes five times, what would you have said? Well, I'm saying right now that I would think they would lose. Now, it's the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes and everything still, so I'm not going to route him out. But I think this is a good transition to one of the th- one of the exercises I want to do for this game, which is the if Kansas City wins, these things are going to happen. If Tampa Bay wins, these things are going to happen. And at the top of my Tampa Bay list, one of the things right after Shaq Barrett and JPP going off is are they able to run the ball? Because we're talking about how fast-paced and high-scoring these offenses are. The one thing Tampa Bay does significantly better than Kansas City, at least in the traditional sense, is run the ball. Between Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, you have legitimate running backs there that you feel comfortable giving the ball to. Now, I could also see Leonard Fournette fumbling, Ronald Jones fumbling. They both have had issues with that in their careers. But if they are able to find a run game against a team without its best linebacker, like you pointed out, Scott, you know, that could be it could completely change the fabric of this game. You know, and then the defense just has to, you know, you're not going to stop them, but all they have to do is contain them. And again, you're going to be going up against Chris Jones, who is one of the best interior defensive linemen in football, and Frank Clark, who's a great defensive end. So it's not going to be easy to run the ball against those guys. But I think that has to be incorporated within their game plan if they're going to win. I think, again, Tampa, if you asked me before, how many rushing yards does Tampa Bay have and how likely are, are they to win? If they get over that 120 mark, 130, 140, I think they can be in this game simply because of they're holding the ball away from Patrick Mahomes or keeping it away from Patrick Mahomes. I think this has a feel of, of, you know, maybe Tampa doesn't go the traditional running game route. Maybe they, uh, Tom Brady's looking at it like, guess what we haven't done all season. And it's a little bit of that, the Ric Flair, uh, uh, page out of Ric Flair's book to be the man you got to beat the man mm-hmm. and so guess what we're going to run some of those play routes like you just described that all 22 that Kansas uh, that the McCole Hardman run and how how complex and and intricate each move on on the Kansas City 11th side was uh, if Tampa Bay can pull something like that off with a guy like Scotty Miller running those I was going to say you just want the ball Scotty I know where I know. this is going <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hey man, you said you're faster than Tyreek Hill, so I yeah, well I am. Um, come I love get me. this. Um, no, so but- I, I think Jeff, back to your question about like what you know, what has to happen for each team to win, you know, and getting to that. I think a great point on the rushing yards for for Tampa. I think if Tampa has to create two turnovers, including like a turnover on downs, which yeah. I think could happen here, I think if Tampa gets two turnovers, they win. And I think for Kansas City. I think for Kansas City, this is going to be weird. I think if if between um, outside of Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, the rest of ever, running backs, wide receivers, other tight ends, Mahomes even, I don't know about a double pass. If the rest of them 
can reach a hundred yards receiving Kansas city will win. Well, I gave you that stat uh, in the last pod about how many games over the last uh, nine, 10 weeks that, uh, that Kelsey and Tyreek Hill have both gone over a hundred yards in a game. And it's five out of the last eight weeks, I believe was the stat, which is insane. So yes, I agree with you, but, and to your point earlier, Vito, about the, the Kansas city defense running zone blitzes on them. I think one of my my things for the Chiefs to win is for the Chiefs to defense to create turnovers. Zone blitzes means that you're going to have to force Tom Brady to throw the ball over the top. Tyron Matthew on the Chiefs side has uh, over since he's joined Kansas City in the, the last two years. He's in 2019 he had four interceptions. Um, in 2020 he had seven. So he's he led safeties each of the last two seasons in in that interception category. They can create if that defense can create turnovers like green Bay came out and did uh, in the second half uh, against Tom Brady, I think the chiefs have a distinct advantage on that side, especially uh, if, if the, the chiefs offense can get mobile, get those guys open and, and Pat Mahomes does his thing and, and doesn't turn the ball over. So, so I'm really glad you mentioned Tyron Matthew because I'd written this down as well when I was doing show prep. I don't know how guys like him become so underrated. Like it, it's crazy. Like, I, and maybe it's because, you know, when he was at LSU, he was arguably the most electrifying defensive player I've ever seen in college. Him and, him and him and Sue, conversation for a while, him and him and Nadama can Sue, who ironically is also in this game mm-hmm. are the two most dominant defensive players that I've ever seen. And he was a first round draft pick. Uh, I think he went to Arizona. He got drafted. He did, and he yeah. met up with his old teammate, Patrick Peterson, and I love them together. What yeah. a combo. And, and even when he was out there, it was kind of like everyone was expecting this electrifying guy that we saw in college. But in, the, in reality, when you move to the NFL, like you're not going to still be that guy. And You're he, not he stripping the ball from every wide receiver like you are in college. No, exactly. and he wasn't returning kicks either. He wasn't returning punts like he did at LSU. Think about that. He was a safety returning punts and kicks. You don't see that anymore. And – I think just defensively, it was just he didn't live up to the expectations that we kind of thought just because of how ridiculously good he was in college. And he just kind of, you know, perpetually became underrated and undervalued. And he wasn't exceptional. He wasn't as good as he is now as he was in uh, Arizona. But the way he is now, how good he is now, I I mean, it's you just said it yourself, Scott. He's led all safeties and interceptions for the last two years. He was a massive reason why they won the Super Bowl last year, you know, and, and his primary responsibility was uh, George Kittle. So let's look at who his primary primary responsibility is going to be in this game. It's probably going to be Mike Evans and probably yeah. not in pure man to man, but they're going to shade him over to certain sides of the field. He's a big physical wide receiver. And look, Brashad Breeland's a really good cornerback has had a really good year for Kansas City. He's had an exceptional playoffs, but the thing is I'm not afraid of what the Tampa Bay wide receivers are going to do to the Kansas city secondary. Like I, I it, for, as weird as that is, and we're talking about a really talented group of wide receivers. I had Mike Evans in fantasy all year. You guys know how much I love Mike Evans and how, how highly I think of him. But after what they did to Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley, like I, I don't, I think they can scheme up a way to stop a team. Now, Going back a little bit, you were talking about, oh, well, these teams that had five losses were five seed, played wild card weekend, and then go on to win the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay, a lot of those losses came before they figured out what their identity is. 
And I don't know if their regular season record is indicative of how good they are of a football team right now. You know, I think if they were playing as uh, the same way, you know, because remember Tom Brady was learning a whole new system, had to develop chemistry that he now has with these guys. He knows where these guys want to find the football. I think this team probably wins closer to 12 to 13 games than the 11 and five record that they have and probably end up winning that NFC South. So let's tie all that back now to, to the point I'm making, which is that if they're gelling on all, on all cylinders and I'm still not worried because of how good st- defensively uh, Steve Spagnola was in that game plan against Buffalo. I mean, I, I think am I fair to, is it fair to say that Stefan Diggs had a better year and is probably a better wide receiver than anybody on the bucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we put that there now. Chris Godwin, about the same productivity as what Cole Beasley had this year, though being slightly different positions. I'd say, yeah, different style, and and I I think he's Just in productivity, right, and things that you need to be – guys you need to make sure that that you know can beat you, that you have to be responsible for. I trust this Kansas City team to scheme up – and and Steve Spagnola to scheme up a good game plan. And on top of it, the captain on the field is Tyron Matthews. And Chris Jones being one of the best interior defensive linemen in this game, they're going to have to double team him because Brady's Achilles heel, as I said before, is getting pressure from the interior of the pocket. If you're able to collapse the pocket from the center in and force Tom Brady off of his spot, he can't navigate the pocket the way he did five years ago, 10 years ago. And he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's just going to all of a sudden roll it out. What he's going to do is he's going to throw the ball away because that's what Tom Brady's done all year when he's received pressure. So it's going to have to be a lot quick, a lot quicker passes, a stronger running game. It's not impossible for Tampa Bay to win this game. If we if we come back on Monday and we're talking about this game, we're breaking it down, and we're like, God, I can't believe I I picked against Tom Brady. Like, why did I do that? You know, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But I think it's a much tougher what if, you know, or or what needs to happen in order for Tampa Bay to win this game than for Kansas City. Because for Kansas City, it's protecting the football. It's, you know, making sure that those you, you help protect those replacement tackles as much as you can without sacrificing too much of your offense because you don't want to bring Travis Kelsey down and block. You know, you want Travis Kelsey out running routes. You want him out making plays. But Patrick Mahomes is so good against the blitz that even if you are sending four or five guys at him and he is facing pressure, he's going to be able to move around and he's going to be able to throw at bizarre angles and he's going to find ways to get his playmakers the ball. At the end of the day, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are probably both better playmakers than Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, Leonard Fournette, anybody on that Tampa Bay team. And again, it feels so unnatural to be, you know, going against Tom Brady. As an Eagles fan, that whole Super Bowl, until the ball was on the ground and there were zero seconds left on the clock, I thought the Eagles were losing that game. And the people and I was then. watching, the people I was watching with, man, like they were getting so mad at me. Cause I was I was in college. I was I was one other Eagles fan I was watching the game with. And they were like, dude, can you just shut the hell up? I'm like, it's Tom Brady. He's gonna win the game. He's gonna break my heart. There's no way they valid do this. Point. Yeah, and it's then, a valid point. And then he goes on and 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 they end up losing. So it's it's definitely possible. And I think the Eagles defense that year, despite having a really good year fell really, really short. And Josh McDaniels called a beautiful game that day. And and Tom Brady was exquisite. Like you said, over a thousand combined yards between those two. Um, Most yards by a losing quarterback ever. Yeah, he had over 500 yards in that yeah. game. 
So, and again, I don't think Tom Brady is going to be at 500 yards. One of the prop bets that I love is the Tom Brady under. It's set at like 298 and a half. And I, I, my fear is that we are, we are building a game up that may not be as close as it actually is. You know, when the Warriors won their second championship, and I hate to always try to equate it back to them, but that's, that is how I see this Kansas City team. How many times do we have to see a team that is just so freaking dominant? And then we have this two-week stretch before the Super Bowl, and we were bored, and we, we talk ourselves into it. Now, this year's a little different because we're talking about Tom Brady on the other side of the ball, right? It's not quite the same thing. But Kansas City just basically needs to go out there and play their game. Like they just need to go out there and play their game and let Chris John, Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew do what they do really, really well. And Tom Brady, you know, he threw no interceptions against the saints, but he also didn't look great against the saints. You know, he kind of did what they needed to do to win that game. And then they broke it open late. Whereas, you know, the, the green Bay game, you know, if they do the same thing, right. Let's say Tampa Bay goes out to a big lead. And then all of a sudden the chiefs start coming back in the second half. They might have been able to stop Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. I don't think they can stop Kansas City and Pat Mahomes. No. Uh, and you want a little parallel. If you're talking about the Warriors dynasty. After they uh, won their first, and and who what happened the next year? They, they ended up playing the GOAT in the finals again and lost to him. So, well, parallel, you play Tom Brady. Well, the, Draymond doesn't Bowl. get It's a little suspended, different than playing like- – yeah, but it's a little different than playing Jimmy G last year for Patrick Mahomes, right? Okay, so um, I, my 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 fear too is that we're gonna be we're gonna be building this up uh, to be the the Pat and Tom show, and uh, Le'Veon Bell is gonna have like 130 yards and two touchdowns, and that's what wins. Kansas <laughs> Dude, Le'Veon may not even see the field. Yeah, I think Daryl Williams and, and Williams, yeah, yeah, Clyde Edwards-Helaire are the guys who are gonna you know kind of step up. So I don't know. I mean. I, like I said, Kansas City wins this game if they just play their game, you know. Because even if it does become a shootout, I'm still I'm still taking Pat Mahomes. I just am, you know. And, and got you know, Russell, one of the reasons I love Ryan Rosillo so much is he's so good about taking perspectives that everybody's talking about, and to being like, hey, let's take a step back from this for, for just for a second. And right after the AFC and NFC Championship games, everyone's talking about. And we did it too. We're guilty of it too. You know, Tom Brady's, you know, is Pat Mahomes the GOAT? Is he a Hall of Famer if his career ended tomorrow? Is he? And then Rosillo then proceeded to lay out this brilliant argument about, do you know how fucking ridiculous it is what Tom Brady has done in his career? Like how absurdly, stupidly incredible it is. If he wins this game, he will have more Super Bowl wins than any franchise. By himself, he will have more Super Bowl wins than any franchise. The record right now is six. He's tied for the most you know, Super Bowls himself, <laughs> him and the Patriots yeah. and the Steelers. If he wins this, he'll be the yeah. first one to get to seven Super Bowl wins. And not just as an individual player that goes for all franchises too. And that is so, again, yeah. so absurdly dominant to be in 10 That's Super Bowls, half 50% of his career. He was in the Super Bowl, 80% of his career. He was playing in an AFC championship game or an NFC championship game. That kind of shit is unreal. And even with all yeah. that being said, we are, I truly believe, we are in, in the moment of witnessing future greatness. 
you know, and this isn't Dan Marino where everyone said, Oh, Dan Marino is going to win 10 Super Bowls. He comes in as a rookie and he's lighting the world on fire and he ends up leaving with none, you know, or even John Elway who people thought had the same kind of, had the same kind of reaction. We've done this before, but the difference is in his first three years, he's been to three AFC championship games, right? He's been to now two Super Bowls. He's won an MVP. He's won a Super Bowl MVP. This is an experienced quarterback despite the fact that he's only 25 years old which again is nuts so it is too early to be saying oh who's better because it is Tom Brady and at this point that resume probably it, it may be one of those unbreakable record kind of situations but the talent and everything we've seen from Mahomes and the what the fuck are we watching aspect of him and, and the Chiefs is is really remarkable like I honestly yeah you can do all the calculus you want, but one plus one is still two. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's that's um, the long and the short of that. Let's uh, let's get into some some of the you know the Super Bowl traditionally is the most betted on sporting event every single year. Uh, I get I, I'd be curious if you compared all of March Madness. So it's probably this a single day, right? On the one single day, I agree. Yeah, because if, you, if yeah. you did all of March Madness and all of those days combined, that's probably going to have more people betting on it. But now. I live in Virginia. Sports gambling just became legalized here in Virginia. I know Scott knows that as well. So we can join you now, Vito, when we're talking about bets and parlays and all this fun stuff. So guys, let's go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about gambling on this year's Super Bowl. And and right off the bat, I told you guys one that I like, the Tom Brady under. And that kind of ties into um, one of the things I I really, really like about this game. One of the bets that I really like. Like I said – I'm leaning right now towards Kansas City wins this in kind of blowout fashion. So I saw Kansas City odds to win by 13 to 18 points, and it's plus 750 in return. So if you want to sprinkle a little bit of money, let's say you're new to gambling and you don't want to spend $20, $30, $50 on a, on a straight-up money line or, or you know spread, these are the kind of bets that you want to find. These fun little prop bets about how many total yards yeah. and, and and how much is well, the Parmesan win, the, cheese the the win margin, right? Um, so Vito, you've been our our uh, resident gambler here on the pod since we started this thing. Why don't you kick us off here and, and give us one of your favorite prop bets, or you know, if you have a straight up parlay or something like that that you like uh, for the Super Bowl this year. Well, I'm glad you brought this up because, God damn it, do I have some bets. So every year, um, I start off with a $100 bet on tails. And uh, that's a coin toss. I'm telling you, there is nothing like getting all eyes in the room <laughs> on the game because I'm a big watcher, right? I don't like talking all that stuff. So as the game's getting started and you just have to yell at everybody, shut the fuck up, the coin toss is going on. And they're like, who cares? And you're like, I have $100 on this. That sets the fucking tone, okay? <laughs> so whatever you're at, I, I really implore you, maybe not 100 for yourself, but do yourself a favor, bet on the coin toss. Um, and, and there are some other great ones here. And another great one that is commonly bet on is the over-under for national anthems mm-hmm. and, and the duration. So this year, it's going to be um, uh, Jasmine Sullivan and Eric Church. Um, and so it, it's, it's going to be interesting. Now, what she did... Um, perform the Star Spangled Banner back in 2016 for the NHL oh, Stadium Series. Uh, that was yeah. outside, and that went for one minute and 39 <laughs> seconds. This is some degenerate be... like gambling shit. I oh, fucking yeah. love it, dude. Uh, oh yeah, welcome so... to Degeneration Station, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so that would Woo-hoo! be the shortest national anthem since 2012. Um, right now, I believe 
when Eric, oh, I'm sorry. Another one she did at 76 was game was 147. Um, Eric church has done it a few times, but, um, what's kind of crazy is when you look over the last couple of years, it's been all over the place and over, under, over, under, but right now, um, the over, under usually changes on the person. It's usually right around two minutes. Um, and in this one, it depends on the website that you see. Uh, I, I've seen anything from 156 to 154 to one, like, it, it's kind of all over. I got but 159. Yeah. Okay. So what's important to note is that, um, it's, it's always been over 150, except for, again, Kelly Clarkson, who did like the show. I don't know what happened that year. Uh, it was a push, too. It was exactly 134. I'll never forget it. It was 2012 Super Bowl. Um, anyway, uh, what I think for this year, especially with COVID and what people are going to want, there's going to be a lot of emotion with it. I'm looking for these two artists to drag this thing out. When you have two people and they're going to harmonize, they're going to hold notes. Let's fucking get the goddamn over okay historically so, Vito, by the way duets have a tendency to go longer like, like they hit the over more often i think there's only there's only been a handful of them in super bowl history that they had a duet for the national anthem but i think it's like 65 percent of the time which might just be like three out of five or whatever that's terrible math but you get what i'm saying and eric church thinks over. slow <laughs> yeah you got the country drawl in there yeah oh so say. yeah um, i'm hammering the over I, lo I love it. And and here's the last one I'll, I want to bring up is the Gatorade color. Yeah. So this has really come up a, a lot more recently um, and it has become a lot more popular with betting. A lot of folks didn't do it. Uh, since 2001, um, the most common is orange with five Super Bowl wins. Uh, yes, the color won the Super Bowl. Uh, orange won five, clear won four, none is at four as well. And then it goes yellow with three purple with two and blue with two. Um, it's interesting to note that Kansas city last year when they won had orange mm -hmm. uh, and it's the most common. So my money uh, again, chalk usually holds in the NFL. A lot of players <laughs> love orange Gatorade, uh, especially in the state where Gatorade is from, which is Florida. I'm hoping that we see the original color and uh, that's, that's what I'm going to go with for the dub. What about you guys? Any, any impact wow. on color? The color thing is interesting because everyone has an, like so many of these little prop bets, it's like, Oh, well, you know, I talked to this, I, my buddy went to college with this guy who uh, is the, now the athletic trainer on, on the chiefs. And they said that they always use the red, you know, they always do it for the colors or, you know what I mean? Like you always get these little reports that come out. And last year, even the buzz was that it was going to be purple and purple yeah. got driven all the way down to even odds. Just be, like, because of it, which wow. was like, which is like pretty crazy considering it. And, and as it turned out, like you said, it was orange. It wasn't even, it wasn't even close. Um, it's that and, is always one of the most fun ones too, because once the game ends, it's another reason to stick around. Right. It's like, not that you wouldn't be watching anyway, but after a long night of drinking and, you know, eating food, whatever, you're in a coma game wins. It's kind of like the, Oh, here's the big, you're like, Oh wait, what's the color? Wait, everybody, everyone stop. Wait, what did, did you see it? Did you see what the color was? I didn't see it. Do you, get, you know what I mean? It's this awesome moment where everyone's like locked. Like you said beforehand, like the coin toss, it's like everybody's locked in to find out what the color of the Gatorade is. Um, exactly. Let people know your fandom and your degeneracy through <laughs> your Super Bowl bets, people.
it's honestly it's a free pass every year for people who want to who want to gamble because even if you don't I love some of these even if like before it was legal you know like people would still go to online and, and european websites and whatnot and find ways or you print out the little odd sheet and you just mm. bet it with your friends and and that's what i did growing up was like my dad would go out and do the pool uh we do the one the thing where you know every, there's a cup and everybody has like $20 or whatever in ones. And then for every touchdown that's scored, uh, it gets pat, you know, everyone puts in a dollar for the six or seven spaces around. And then whoever gets it for that, you know, seven for the touchdown or six, and then plus the extra point, you know, then that person holds the pot and then it keeps just moving around the entire game. until so at the end of it, you know, someone ends up with a, with a cup full of like, you know, 60 bucks or, or whatever it is. Uh, well, you guys do squares. Yeah. Well, and the one thing to add, I would say to anyone who doesn't gamble or isn't currently is that right now, especially before the Super Bowl, you can sign up quick and usually get a match of your deposit for like you put in a hundred, they'll give you a hundred for free, something like that. So check it out because you can usually put out a lot more money on a weekend like this that you, then you're even putting in. Yeah. And even if you net out, you come out even, or, or maybe you hit one big. So dude, FanDuel, uh, look for that. FanDuel gave you free hundred dollars of credit when you signed up in Virginia. Just a free hundred dollars. Yep, now you, you can't with you can't withdraw that, obviously. Um, and, and this is again where I was talking about too. Like you can do things where it's like, hey, I don't feel comfortable betting twenty dollars on the game line. I don't feel comfortable betting a hundred dollars on the game line. It's like I, I'm personally one of those kinds of people. So what I what I like to do is what what bet do I think actually has a realistic shot of happening based off of you know research and whatever that I can put three dollars down and get like really good odds for it. So I made a parlay that was the Tom Brady rushing yards over under, which right now is set at 0.5. So he literally just needs to run for one fourth and, uh, one, yeah. fourth and one or on the goal line. He just needs uh, yeah. one. Now the knee will take it away, right? That's if they win, he takes the knees. But I've said this the whole time, right? I believe in Kansas City. I think Kansas City is going to win the game, so that's not something I'm worried about. And the thing I parlayed it with was Kansas City to cover seven and a half. And when you add those two together, you end up with plus 690 for your odds. That's pretty good. And it's a realistic thing that could happen. Like I could 100% see it being a 10 point game, 30 to 20 at the end of the game, right? Or an eight point game, 28 to 20, somewhere in that kind of range. And Kansas City needs the ball at the end. Tom Brady had one rushing touchdown. You know, we've seen him, we saw it do it twice against the Saints this year. We saw him do it uh, in the playoffs earlier. So, I, I am 100% on board with the idea of find a good combination that's going to give you good odds and, and fucking go for it. You know, in the NBA, a lot of times you can get good odds for like, who's going to score the first point, you know, and Hey, you throw $2 down on it or whatever. Now, again, only bet the, the enough money that you feel comfortable losing, right? That's the golden rule here. You should only bet any amount of money that you are feel comfortable losing. And then double down. Uh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. don't take lessons from me. Listen to Jeff. The, the last thing I, I was going to throw in here, um, I was going to do the fourth quarter over. Um, like I said, I really like that back and forth nature, but uh, it's not available right now. And usually a lot of them will happen live as you get quarter to quarter. This just says first quarter on, on my app. But a lead change to occur in the fourth quarter, plus 220. Ooh. Uh, I, I like that, uh, especially with the game with these guys. So uh, the funniest one I thought was a lead change to occur in the first quarter is plus two sixty five. So like someone gets a I field goal, then someone scores a touchdown. I, I almost a, bet that. <laughs> yeah. Not, so not counting the first score, like wouldn't that be a score change from zero zero to three zero or seven zero? I, I don't think. It no, it's a lead change. 
It's a lead. Well, change. that's a lead. So, oh, okay. So no one's in the lead. Then someone's in the lead. So that it's not even tied. I think it's, someone's got to pass the other. Yeah. Um, to get it, but that's well, that's my uh, my corner on recap of gambling. The la- the last one I have, and Scotty, if you have any, I want you to chime in here too. Um, we talked a lot about the uh, offensive tackle and defensive end matchup, right? I don't know if you guys saw. Uh, they asked Jason Pierre-Paul, you know, do you know anything about the backup for? It's technically Eric Schwartz or not Mitchell Schwartz's backup, not Eric Schwartz. Uh, Eric Fisher's on the other side, and whoever is is the backup for their JPP just like disrespected the fuck out of this guy. And was just like, yeah, I, I literally have no idea who, who it is. Like, I couldn't even tell you. You could do it. And it was like one of those Super Bowl headlines. There isn't a lot this year because there are no Super Bowl media days. There aren't a million reporters all shoving 10,000 microphones into people's faces. Which, by the Radio way, row. <laughs> this, this should be a really good example of things that we can change post-COVID. Like, things that we learned that we didn't necessarily need to do. Right. We don't need to make media days the obnoxious celebration that it was, you know, where you literally have massive podiums where all the players sit on and like 30 reporters. And in some cases, like 50 to 100, if it's Tom Brady or Belichick or any of those guys. Uh, But Jason Pierre Paul kind of threw some fuel onto the fire and there's a an an odd or a prop bet for who's going to get the first sack. And right now, JPP is plus 650 to get the first sack going up against a backup offensive tackle. And he's already shown like, he's not afraid to kind of mince words. And, and I think he's taking this thing really, really seriously. Was he, by the way, was he on the 2011 giants? I believe so. Yeah. That, Cause he that wasn't was the on guy, the first time, but he was, was say, on that's the, the guy. I, yeah. That's the guy I was thinking of when I was listing off their D lineman who, who I forgot about. So a guy who has Super Bowl experience and has been playing really, really well this year, Shaq Barrett, I think is also like plus five fifty. So you can get a good value from either one of them, but I think one of those two is going to be the first sack of the game. Uh, Scotty, you got any props for us? Uh, I believe in the Schwartz, uh, uh, used to Schwartz, uh, space balls. Schwartz. Anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I'm I'm down with the uh, who's going to win the puppy ball. Team fluff, team rough. A uh, little little action there. Are there uh, really odds also, for that? Oh got? yeah, who you got? Uh, I got I got team fluff every year. 100%. It's got to be team oh, fluff. And then uh, the other one I like is uh, and uh, I encourage you to go to uh, Reddit for those of you on Reddit and go to Wall Street bets. Uh, but one of these that I like is will the price of Bitcoin rise or fall during the Super Bowl? I'd go to Wall Street Bets, look at some of those commercials, and uh, and see what's hitting, and do a little uh, little action, a little GameStop action. <laughs> oh man, that was that. I gotta say, and quick detour. That was one of the most bizarre weeks I've ever seen on Twitter. I was so proud. I was <laughs> like, so proud I, of the community. I held so hard. If, and and look, I mean, ultimately, anyone who was like, "Look, this is probably gonna backfire," and the people who buy in on those things, it did. Like, but. I think it exposed a lot of stuff. And again, different podcasts. This is not a mm-hmm. podcast to get your stock information for. I don't know. Maybe you guys are big into it. I know. I, I sure as hell am not. I was just like, I'm just going to sit back and watch this because it's the first time ever that you could have Dave Portnoy, AOC, and Ted Cruz all agreeing on something was, you know, <laughs> being pissed off about what happened with Robin. That is literally the yeah, wonder, only situation what the over- that could happen. Wonder what the um, money line was on that one. Ted Cruz and yeah, AFC agree, yeah, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so just reiterating here, and we're going to take a quick break. But um, it's a super exciting game. And before we get out here, I have to ask you both. I need a winner, and I need a score. And if you need a second to come up with a score, 
I have no problem going first. Because, by the way, you can guess the exact score and get ridiculous odds. <laughs> like, absurd. Um, I had 28 to 20, eight-point win for Kansas City. And it's actually a 1,700 to one. So, basically, you drop $3, you could end up walking away with, like, 550 Not likely to happen, but... That's not bad, though. Um, so, I- I'm going with Tampa Bay... Uh, 34 uh, to 20. I'm going to go with 29. I know, I know there's some weird stuff there, but I think it's going to come into play. But anyway, I have to add this too. Um, this is my, uh, this is my only chance that I've been able to pat myself on the back for this. So I'm going to go ahead and do it on, on the pod. Pat away. Uh, in high school, I was a sports journaler, a sports journalist, and I, I wrote and everything. And I have a great paper where in high school, I called the exact Super Bowl score for the Steelers when they beat the Cardinals, oh, along wow. with like the yardage stuff. It was the first game that Steelers had let up over 300 yards that whole season. And Kurt Warner threw for that. And I, anyway, called the whole thing, all that stuff. Didn't put any money on it, Jeff. And if I would have, I learned my lesson. Now I put money on everything. You were in high school. It scarred you. So that's exactly. <laughs> and now I'm like, man, just one of these years, if I hit it to your point, it'll make up for all the years I don't. That's amazing. It explains a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go veto, man. You, I, you had me at, uh, at uh, Tampa Bay 34. Um, I'm going to go Tampa Bay win this one. Um, Jeez, I feel like though I'm gonna go do the same thing in in two, three, four years uh, with Patrick Mahomes that I that I keep doing with Tom Brady. So I care about myself. I'm gonna go. Tom Brady wins this one. Uh, my boy Chris Godwin and Devon or, uh, and Donovan Smith uh, get rings. Uh, shout out to the former Penn Staters. And uh, I'm gonna go Tampa Bay, 38 uh, to 34. 38, 34. And Vita, what was your score? Sorry. I'm actually going to change it. I'm glad you asked. Uh, it was 34, and I said 29. I'm going to go to 26. Still a weird one. Still not exact, but uh, maybe that eight-point game, and I think that's they're going to hold them out of the end zone at the end, and that's going to make the difference. So you're both on the Tampa Tampa Bay bandwagon, yes, sir. and I'm going chalk. Jeff, I, I care about you. I care about you. Hey, you know Don't what? Do it. Again, as an Eagles fan, Tom Brady doesn't scare me, dude. Fuck that dude. We beat him. <laughs> if Nick Foles can beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl – Pat Mahomes can do it too. So Jeff, uh, right next to me is that giant um, on literally my block is where there's the painted giant Eagle and Tom Brady's in the Eagle's mouth with the football, <laughs> like holding out. It's a great one. I'll have to send it to you, but uh, yeah, send it to me so I can get a tattoo Philly, of it. Yeah. <laughs> it was in Philly. Uh, you need to check that out. And if you're by there, give me a call. Cause you're right by my place. There we go. All right, y'all let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, new video game, the EA sports, Uh, We're going to hit on briefly the now that the coaching carousel has kind of wrapped up. And I also want to get your guys' thoughts on the Goff Stafford trade because I did a solo pod this week uh, and I kind of broke it down, but I want to hear y'all's reaction. So we'll get all of that done here after the break. All right, we're back. Great stuff there on the Super Bowl preview show. Um, Yeah, I'm excited, guys. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope this is a competitive game, but. I don't know. Patty Mahomes. That's scary. Uh, but the most exciting news of Super Bowl week had nothing to do with the NFL. And that is the announcement that we will be getting back one of the greatest video games of all time. EA Sports NCAA football uh, is now coming back 
Vito, you said it earlier. It's they're calling it college football this time. It's uh, my guess is because they rise are right now. They can't have the affiliation with the NCAA. They can't use that logo. Why not? Scott's shaking his head. Yes. He's in that field. He gets it more than I would. Um, but I'm really excited for this guys. And I'll, I'll put my hand up right now. I was not, I was raised in suburban Philadelphia. So college football wasn't really my thing, right? What, what college football is to every other place in the world that has pit Johnstown, even, um, (laughs) you know, that's like a D (laughs) two school. My dad went to LaSalle, which doesn't even have a football team. So uh, we're, we're talking about a video. So when I was growing up there, I just, I wasn't super into college football. Ironically. Now I produce radio for ESPNU radio, which is exclusively about college sports. I covered my own college uh, JMU when I was in uh, school. So I have legitimately fallen in love with this video game. And I feel like I'm, I've been given a second chance here. I've been given like a rebirth. It's like, Hey, this game that you missed out on, that is amazing. Um, here it is. You thought it was gone forever. Bam. Here you go. Serve it up on a silver platter and give myself a chance to, to get in and what everyone else was doing there for so long. Uh, I'm curious to hear both of your reactions uh, and how much you guys played this game and, and how pumped you are. Vito, I know this is one of your favorites. So why don't you kick us off here? Uh, what are you most excited about here with the return of one of the most infamous and beloved co- uh, video games of all time? So I'm excited for a few things. I just want to start off by saying uh, shout out to my boy, Nick Calcaterra. Um, me and him, you know, grew up playing this game. I'm talking about since 2000, uh, we played this game together. And I've told you guys before off air, but I mean, we were, when we got together, especially he went to Oregon and I went to Penn State and we used to visit each other and um, we would play. And even when we went home in the summers in California, we'd play online and I'd play defense and he'd play offense. And we were, um, and a lot of people say this, but it, we were extremely good. It's the best game I've ever been. It's the best thing I've ever been good at probably ever. Like I'm not kidding. It's it's if you got like list out your skills, it's like NCAA defense is probably number one for me. Uh, my job is pretty, I'm pretty good at that, but like, it's seriously, it's that important to me. And, it, and I feel like I'm that good at it. I put a lot of time into it. And me and Nick used to play a lot. And so I, I think what it means to me is it's, it's that, uh, like you said, it's almost like a, not a revival, but it, you get that childhood feeling, uh, you know, last one to come out was 2014. You were you in know. college. Well, we were point. in college. And that was also when we first got Bill O'Brien and Hackenberg. And, and we didn't have that year yet though. Cause 14 is based off of, right. It's always the year ahead and it, yeah. it's based off last year's thing. So it's really two years. Ago. Anyway. Um, what I mean by that is that you're, let's say 2012, the game end or your season goes the next game that comes out in 2013 is called NCAA 2014. So players ratings are projected for 2013 based off of 2012. So in college, it's a lot different because you cycle through players so much. And what I'm excited about is the fact that it's going to bring a lot of people together, the campaign a road to glory, all that stuff. Hopefully we still get those versions. The mechanics I think are way better than Madden. I don't even think it's close. I think this is a travesty that this game is not used more. And I hope they go back to those kind of mechanics rather than adapt what Madden has in, in their, in their whole physics generator. But one thing I want to raise my hand about and be very cautious about and why I'm not getting too excited um, is right now with the, the likeness and, and I, I'm just wondering what this is going to entail. Can they use colleges? Can they, and if they can use colleges, what's the extent? Can they not use players? What about stadiums? Those are the kind of things that like, I really am going to care about and um, I'm excited that we're going to have the gameplay, but the content matters. 
So it's interesting you bring that up, Vito, because one of one of the issues here, and, and like you said, is is they kind of have to be vague about this uh, because they can't quite be as explicit until name, image, and likeness comes into effect, which we're still a decent amount of time away from name, image, and likeness coming into effect. We're talking about another two full more years, I believe, before it comes in for the Pac-12 in the state of California. I say the Pac-12, but really it's the state of California. Uh, and more or less what EA Sports is doing and knowing what the public response to this would be is kind of driving home and, and putting the NCAA in a position where they're, they're hand-tied, they have their hands tied. Like, uh, uh, there's going to be a certain point where it's like EA Sports is saying this and we're going to do this and, and here it comes, even though the NCAA has kind of looked around and ignored the name, image, and likeness, you know, the 1,200-pound gorilla in the room, they've kind of ignored name, image, and likeness through every single twist and turn that they possibly can to this point. So for EA Sports, they're kind of playing, they're, they're you know, forcing, I should say, they're kind of forcing the NCAA's hand here and saying the, the groundswell of support is going to be so enormous and it's just going to become expected that name, image, and likeness happens. I think it's going to force the NCAA to stop dragging their feet on this thing, come up with a cohesive plan, because whether they want it or not, name, image, and likeness is happening because it's happening in the courts and a government level, not necessarily on an NCAA level. And once that happens, once it's legal, there's nothing the NCAA can do to stop it. Um, so that's just an interesting like behind-the-scenes well, part of this. Well, go ahead, Scotty, if you have more on that. Yeah, so it that only applies to to the players in the game, uh, and if if you recall, in in previous iterations of of the NC two A games, whether it be football or basketball, they even had baseball at one point, um, I recall. But those uh, were they were generic enough to name players like QB number fourteen, right? Yeah. Um, so that's, I think, is where they're going to run into maybe a little bit of an issue, but I don't think it's enough for for the NC2A to be like, hey, you can't do that. Um, as for the... Well, the, remember, Scott, this, real quick there, Scott. Remember that it got shut down because of a lawsuit because the players weren't, right. able, they, the players weren't represented within it. So what name, image, and right. likeness does is that not necessarily the licensing aspect of it, but in order for the game to come back, name the players have to be able to have their names and image to, and likenesses to monetize. Yeah. Or yeah. on the flip side, well, and, and sorry to interject again, Scott, but <laughs> one of the most interesting things that happened when it got shut down was how many players they got a check for I forget how much it was like thirty dollars. Some 16? got some got more. I, I know from off the record yeah. stuff that I, I'll tell you guys later, but, but those some, are people who are getting more. checks anyway. But, but the point is what NCAA decided <laughs> to spit out to all the guys for the game, it was supposed to be split evenly. And almost all of them said, I would rather give this check back and be an NCAA football. That means way more to these guys. Yeah. Like yeah. I just talked about Nick Calcaterra. We all know Grant Calcaterra plays college football. He's going to play at SMU uh, this year, tight end. He played at Oklahoma and I've talked to him. I mean, it is way cooler to be in a video game and play as yourself on a game you've been playing your whole life. Like yeah. all these kids grew up on this. And so that's why it's, it's yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting that a lot of them wouldn't even want this. Yeah. And, and again, that's just as, as far as the players go, as far as the universities go, 
and and the stadiums, they can run with, with reckless abandon into any licensing agreements that EA wants to provide. We've seen this a little bit in Madden in in the uh, face of the franchise mode the last couple of years where they've had they've introduced some of these university uh, licensing agreements to be able to play as a player at uh, Texas or USC, Miami, uh, a lot of there's, there's been more and more over, over the last couple of years. Uh, and, and uh, stadiums as well that they play in. Um, so those, those type of licensing agreements, uh, again, the universities individually can run with reckless abandon and I don't foresee any of them being like no we don't want to buy into this because they're going to make money off of it while they're still exploiting the players another podcast another day i am stoked for this game for many of the same reasons that that you are Vito. um i grew up playing it um it it invokes a sense of of nostalgia and and it was honest honest to god one of my favorite video games let alone uh sports video games um, I love the whole aspect of, of of the whole journey of college football, getting recruited, doing doing the the, the class thing, which was kind of stupid. But I like the little like quizzes. I, I remember in NC2A07, you got to like take tests and stuff uh, to be to be able to become an academic call American and all this. And quite frankly, it's one of the reasons I went to Penn State in NC2A07. Again, this is I'm old, so um, <laughs> That's that's when I was heading into college. But in NC2A07, they had these intros um, where they did a lot of the school traditions and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'd grown up watching Penn State over the years, but watching those intros to the game on uh, and watching Penn State's intros particularly, I was like, that's where I want to be. That looks dope huh. as hell, and I want to be part of that. Um, and that's when I went to my first uh, Penn State football weekend uh, as a freshman. I was like, Yep. Yep. That was it. Um, so that's the kind of nostalgia that invokes that the game invokes for me. And that's, I'm, I'm really excited to be back in that uh, environment playing it. That's really cool. Uh, Scott, that it, that it had that much of an effect on you to the, to the extent that you're like, I want to go and see that. Um, yeah. It was a bit of a drink, the Kool-Aid kind of thing, but it, I mean, you know, is what it is. <laughs> like, I, I, I loved say. it. So I eat that shit up. Yeah. yeah. You don't say that the Penn State fan base is, is a little cultish. You wouldn't say that. Football school. You say that Bama. It, no, yeah. not any. Penn State is in the top five. Now, they're not the worst if it gives you any consolation. Uh, Ohio State is by far the worst fan base, uh, arguably in all of sports. But uh, Penn State, when they're rolling, is. Uh, <laughs> Is pretty is up there. Uh, one thing that I think before we move on from this conversation that I'd be remiss to not mention is when we were going through the pandemic and there were no sport, not as if we're through it already, uh, but when we were going through like the heart of it and we were all at home and we had no sports, whether you like Barstool or not, uh, what they did with the Coach Doug's sensation with uh, Big Cat, who's one of their primary personalities coming up with this like Andy Reed, but like grow up in the heart of Louisiana kind of character uh, who ironically, they found somebody who looked just like him, who now works at Barstool. Um, but it became a, a revolution, obviously like with Twitch, you know, becoming a thing, they were able to get a hookup to hook the old, you know, PS2 or I don't know if the PS3 was out by then, but uh, whatever the old system was and, and played those games and they got, thousands and thousands and thousands of people to tune in to live streams of guys playing this video game just to watch a game that was made 
seven years ago, say eight years ago, because yeah. that is the level of attachment that so many people have to this game. And I don't know. I don't know if it played a part in the game coming back. I don't know if it was another nugget that they could add when they're like, yo, we should really bring this back. But well, it was amazing to smart. see. It's smart for EA on the business side, EA Sports, to do it with next-gen consoles. Yeah. Uh, because oh, yeah. they're already hard enough to get, so you just incentivize people to want to buy those next-gen consoles even more. And, and Jeff, to your point about Doug's, I mean, I was an avid follower, watched a lot of the games, and I, did too. Um, I think what people connected to, at least what I connected to, and, and my friend Nick, because we, we both uh, started careers back up with my coach, Zach Paca, coming over the States to lead a championship team san jose state shout out and uh <laughs> we, um, yeah dude, oh dude those spartans kick ass fuck georgia tech i don't want to talk Great about uniforms. that but we had a bad experience um anyway but we all like everyone connects and starts off their career and goes and makes a journey and then all of a sudden you identify with some schools that you have no other connection to besides this video game that you're like i was their head coach from 2012 <laughs> to 2014 right? and well I, and as you're going through that like you make these connections and I think other people liked it. Cause you're right. We had no sports. And then all of a sudden you get these connections that coach Doug's had and he's getting gear. And then everyone else went and like, Oh, I'm going to start my franchise back up or I'm going to start a new one. And I think as everyone was looking for things to prioritize their time, everyone's baking bread or whatever the hell that was at the beginning of quarantine. <laughs> like, I feel like a lot of us just gravitated towards what video games we could revisit. And that is without a doubt to, to cap this all off NCAA 14, the last one to come out, is one of the great games that people have held on to, and it's worth so much money on eBay. If you look now, it's, oh it's God, not, yeah. yeah, it's up to a hundred or so, really? especially when Coach Doug's was going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you have like, and you have to buy a PS3 to play it. Yeah. Or an Xbox One. So, or yeah. 360. So it, it was really interesting. And, and uh, that's, that's kind of what gravitated me towards it. Yeah. They kept, and you know what else it did too? It kept the, the legacy of one Denard Robinson alive who, I talked about electrifying football players. He was on the cover that year and he had an okay NFL career. He hung around, played running back in Jacksonville for a while. Play, yeah. I was going to say uh, Jacksonville. Didn't he end up playing wide receiver or running back or something like yeah, that? Yeah. He, he moved around, but talk, you know, talk about a fun college player. Denard Robinson was man. Uh, I do want to transition though, as we're, because we got a while to wait, you know, it's going to be a few years before this game actually comes out, but a phenomenal story. And Twitter just absolutely exploded when it was announced. Um, but I talked on the podcast on Monday at length about the big blockbuster trade that came through the weekend before the Super Bowl, which I said this on the pod. And I, I want to hear, obviously, your guys' thoughts on the whole trade and everything else and, and the fallout from it and, and what you expect from both sides. But can you ever remember a, a situation where we had – a franchise quarterback or, or frankly any big trade happened the week before the Super Bowl? Like we're still a month and a half away from the league year starting. No, no, it's, it's yeah, no. fully unprecedented. <clears throat> as you said in the podcast, completely unprecedented. Yeah. And, and, and for me, like I, I gave a brief and syn- I'll give a brief synopsis for anyone who didn't hear that one. It's just, I like Jared Goff still. I think he's not, I don't, I think it's dumb to rule out a guy who out, dueled pat mahomes on monday night football and in a one of the best shootouts we've ever seen i think it's dumb to write off a guy who was playing in a super bowl two years ago and maybe some of that you know a good part of that not just some a good part of that came directly from sean mcveigh but i still think jared goff has some in the tank and more importantly and maybe not more importantly but i think where most people's eyes are in the situation 
is how much better does Matthew Stafford really make this team out in LA? Well, I, I think a lot. I really do. Um, I, I just think that there's a different confidence level, clearly enough for them to make that kind of a trade. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, just to recap, it was um, the Rams gave away Jared Goff and two number ones and a number three. And a third correct? round. Yeah. So they gave up a first rounder in 2022 and 2023 and a third rounder in this year's draft. Okay. So um, to give up and gave up Jared Goff, the former number one overall pick to get Stafford, um, it's interesting. Obviously, there's pros and cons to each side. It's more of the Rams are like, hey, let's win now. Um, but to your point, it's not like the, the fact that you're getting a first overall pick quarterback from re- recently, uh, and then you're also getting two number ones. It's incredible. I, I think um, what the Lions are doing here is, is really setting themselves up. They're, they've made some decisions that I haven't agreed with in the last 10 years. Uh Really, no, that's a little long. After the Jim Caldwell thing fizzled out, that's when I kind of got off board with some of their stuff. And I thought it would work out. It didn't. But what I like about this, it sets up your future to at least say, hey, we're giving this guy another chance and a fresh start. Because not only not only does he have the talent to be a number one overall pick, this has happened in NFL history. Like, And I like to go way back. And, and when you look at some of these guys, I know we brought up before, but like Terry Bradshaw was – a top pit, like he was the number one guy the Steelers identified. I believe that was in the 1960, 69s when they got Joe Green. So he was in 70. Um, and he didn't, he was in and out of the starting lineup over the next couple of years. And then in, in at the end of the, of the 74 season. So his fifth year in the NFL, his fifth year, he finally gets his, his place in the starting lineup. He'd been starting before, but he finally gets his st- place in the starting lineup where he's never removed again. And they won the Super Bowl that year. I mean, he only started for like five or six games in a row to win the Super Bowl. So the point is, is that we've seen this happen with a guy who ends up being a Hall of Famer. And I also think that uh, we can really hopefully see uh, a, a whole new style get rolled in with Jared Goff. And and on the flip side, I mean, with the Rams, how do you guys feel? I feel like they're immediately back in the NFC championship conversation with just the defense and the fact that I mean, Stafford can sling it and do two minute drills, but he throws for 5,000 yards all the time. We talk about it a bunch. What do you guys think? Uh, I think it, I think it's a slam dunk for, for both teams, frankly, Uh, for the Rams. I think getting a guy like Stafford in the night, I know the Niners were in on him. And that was a guy that I was hoping we would get anticipating that we probably won't get Watson. And now we're not going to get anyone and we're going to be stuck with Jimmy G. Oh God. Uh, But um, but for Stafford, I think uh, he automatically makes your team better. And, of course, you're going to lean on that defense, McVay's offensive brilliant mind um, will will help that along as well. I'm not sold on the weapons that, that Stafford has to throw to. He had a lot over his career in Detroit that is just the talent level is not there I, to me in L.A. on the offensive side of the ball. And for Detroit, uh, to get a guy like Goff, you talk about system quarterbacks, um, and, and, and I think that's a, a bit of a misnomer. And I think there's, there's a tendency and, uh, to, to especially like guys like Goff who got drafted high to think about, um, well, we drafted this guy high because we were high on him coming out of college, uh, but it doesn't work in our system, so we're going to get rid of him uh, before he's – 27 28 years old right um 
And then I think of a guy like Ryan Tannehill, who had a, a renaissance year uh, or last couple of years in, in Tennessee. And he's the, the same type of player who was drafted into a system in Miami. Um, the, the organization got sw- switched around a little bit uh, while he was there. And uh, all of a sudden now you're in a, a, a different system in Tennessee where you can, you can thrive. Um, Jared Goff, I think talent wise is mediocre at best, frankly. Um, but I still think he has plenty of good quarterbacking left in the tank. And this is the first time in a long time that I can remember that Detroit has an offensive minded head coach. They've gone back to back with Jim Schwartz and uh, uh, there was somebody in between. And then um, Patricia, Jim Caldwell is an offensive coach. Right. So they went two defensive okay. coaches so you got, and one offense. Yeah. Game. Right. But so Scott, to, to your point, I, I know what you're saying here where like, you know, Goff has a chance here to really make something, but if I, I would be lying, if I didn't tell you guys, so it can happen. And I think they're both winners in this trade because of the draft picks. I don't think if this was a trade uh, straight swap, or even there was one first rounder, I think LA steals that trade. I think it's only even because of that. I don't put that much in golf. I think he can carry you through the couple of years and he could take off. But the point is, is that if you're getting two more first rounders for a guy who is speculating, you know, maybe what isn't going to be around long-term anyway, uh, this is a, I, I would, I would be interested to see the other deals on the table. Cause this is a pretty damn good one. So yeah. I can, I can answer that veto. So the athletic had a report that there was up to eight offers that were made. Right. And none of them had more than one first round pick involved. So what does that tell you then about Jared Goff? Because if they believed in Jared Goff fully, like we think this guy's a franchise quarterback, no doubt slam dunk, then you wouldn't ask that much for to take on his contract. Because that's where that extra first round pick and third round pick come in, is you are taking on a $100 million contract. And as of right now, and this is kind of where I think while there is on, on its surface, everyone's kind of like, yeah, win, like win-win trade. I think it can be a win-win trade. Uh, I think betting on Stafford to stay healthy for two years uh, and, and what you just, it's, it's a lot of draft capital. The last first round pick that the LA Rams had was Jared Goff. And the next time, and they haven't, by the way, haven't drafted in the first round since. And you know when their next first round draft pick is going to be? Is in 2024. 24. All right. So we're talking about eight years without, and I mean, they look, they could trade somebody and, and try to get up into the first round or whatever, but they're not scheduled as of now to have a first round draft pick again until 2024. So I, yeah. I can see now that being said, you bring in Stafford and yeah, you win a Super Bowl in the next two years. He's got two years, $43 million left on his contract. So it's very, very possible for that to happen. Uh, well, that but, yeah, but, that makes it worth it. But that's the only way that makes it worth it to mm-hmm. me. If you're the Rams, oh, oh, right? absolutely. It's bo- it's entirely boomer bust. Because here's the thing, too, Scott and Vito, they defensively, uh, we we talked about how great this Rams defense is all all year. They lost their defensive coordinator. He's now the head coach of the L.A. Chargers. All right, and on top of it, two of their starters, uh, Leonard Floyd, outside linebacker, and it's Jermaine Johnson. One of their defensive backs, one of their safeties, are both free agents this year. They still owe $22 million in dead cap money for Jared Goff for this upcoming year. And an additional oh an additional right. eight, $8 million to pay off Todd Gurley still. 
because of that oh horrible Todd Gurley contract. So they're going to have no <laughs> cap flexibility, no first round draft picks. They lost their third round draft pick this year, which we we saw the the kid from Carolina, the safety who came in and and immediately made an impact and was one of the best defensive players on that team. He was a third round draft pick. Uh, you know, you can find a lot of really talented guys in the third round guys who can come in and immediately help your team. So they're not going to be able to go out and sign people. Now their core pieces, Aaron Donald, Cooper, Jalen Cup, Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey, and Robert Woods are all signed under contract until 2024. So basically what they're telling you is we're making a run this year and next year. And if it doesn't work out, then we're going to have to scrap everything and move on. And McVay's not going to get fired, but Les Snead, no. the GM, the GM? Yeah. his job <laughs> is scorching hot right now so it's it's, it's it's weird to me man that you've been in like win now mode for the last five years like what that's so I, and, bizarre hey, it's an aggressive way to do it but you only have so many first round draft picks you only have so much cap room and when you're trading guys like this and you acquire this dead cap money no look no owner feels great about paying 30 million dollars to two guys who are not currently on your team yeah in one year say. so but the the fall is going to be harder <laughs> You know, it could be, or if they don't win a Super Bowl in that in that time after 2024, they're going to be, yeah, doing what the fall. It will be bad, but at that point, you still have what Sean McVay will be 26. (laughs) You know, like Sean McVay will still be in his in his mid 30s at that point. So you're still going to have one of the youngest head coaches in football. Well, maybe not by then because this trend of hiring young coaches. Uh, But actually, you know what? That's a really good segue here, and I did that totally unintentionally. But basically, final thoughts on that. Uh, potential for both teams have won the trade. I don't know if Jared Goff is actually going to be the long-term answer for the Detroit Lions, but it's four years, $104 million. You know, Kirk Cousins got three years and $96 million fully guaranteed. So when you think about it from that perspective, it's really not a terrible contract considering what the average starting quarterback gets because there is just a market price that you pay for a, an average quality starting quarterback because they, they get to the market so infrequently. And then once you sign them to their extensions, you know, it, it, it just elevates all the money just continues to get higher and higher and higher. And so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I hope the best for Matthew Stafford, because I'd love to see him actually win. And I know you don't, you're, you don't like the Rams very much. Not anymore. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, just for him as a human being, I'm sure you'd be able to find it in your heart to be happy for him. So uh, with that, we were talking about hiring coaches uh, and I want to wrap up the pod today talking about, Obviously, the coaching carousel just finally wrapped up since the time we were all on the pod together, the last pod. And we had a really good conversation that we ended up editing out uh, about the coaching carousel, but more importantly, about the Rooney rule. Uh, And and Scott, I know you felt very passionately uh, and and deservedly so frustrated based off of what we saw yet again this year, which was, you know, Eric Bieniemy getting interviewed for six head coaching jobs of the seven that were available. And once again, is not going to, you know, is not going to be there. So I'll give uh, you the just, floor, Scotty, here. Like, what yeah, like- not just BNME. BNME is the, the, the headliner on that list, obviously. You got guys like Todd Bowles, um, Byron Leftwich, uh, who's the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay, who um, I don't think is quite ready yet for a head coaching job, but certainly Todd Bowles. Should have been interviewed. And, 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 and yeah, for sure. Joe, if Joe Brady got several interviews – and one year of being the offensive coordinator in yeah. Carolina, Byron left, which has been there for three years, which, which tells you something, right? I'm, I'm sick of, of 
the pandering. And I'm sick of this. It seems to me like this rules just around um, for the sole purpose of of appeasing, uh, you know, the the owners who uh, who are only in their best interests. And guess how many owners are people of color? I'm pretty sure it's like one. The the uh, guy in, yeah, I'm pretty sure in it's Jacksonville. Zero. Oh yeah, people. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Um, so we clearly know where their interests are. And if you paid attention to anything about um, about uh, political donations in 2020, um, you you would see a clear delineation of uh, of where those people's interests lie. And it's not just in football. It's in, in most sports, uh, professional sports in the United States. But I don't understand how, to, to the larger point, to the X's and O's almost, to how you can justify as an organization, let alone the interviews, how, how can you justify if, if I'm Houston, right? How can I, how can I say to my organization and my fans, Hey, we're going to interview these guys. Uh, and you, and you run down the list and go, well, okay. Uh, what do they bring to the table from a football perspective? They're like, oh well, here are their, here are their bona fides. Uh, uh, okay, um, Eric Bieniemy's the offensive coordinator in Kansas City. Yeah, great. Um, that sounds awesome. Um, we're not going to interview him. Um, yeah, but but have you seen the Chiefs' offense that that he largely is in charge of? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, um, but you know, we don't think Eric Bieniemy's a fit for our organization. And how's that exactly? <laughs> and nobody wants to say the reason is because he's black. Okay, I, I'm I'm tired of of this this ridiculous thought that we we think that there's no no end like endpoint for for these folks. Uh, they're qualified people in football, folks. And I'm sorry that if. Uh, we're going to have a league dominated by quarterbacks and also racially charged uh, have um, have quarterbacks be mostly the widest position uh, per capita in the NFL that we're going to have to, to dominate the coaching carousel with that. I, I don't think so. I, I don't, I don't agree with, with the way that any of this has gone on. Um, and, and it's frankly insulting that as, as a human, that, that people like, like Houston wouldn't even consider an interview uh, for, for some of these people who are very well qualified. Who did Houston end up hiring? So that's what I wanted to kind of get into. So they did request an interview with Eric Bieniemy, but they would have yeah. had, they would have had to have wait for the season to be over. The right. other thing is they hired David Culley, who is black. He is black. So they did okay. end up hiring a black head coach. So it's not good. And, and before, you know, I don't want this to now like, cause everything you said is a hundred percent justified. Um, this is a deep rooted issue within the NFL and, and within all of football. And it starts from what you said right there at, at the quarterback position, which is the quarterback forever has been the white guy, right? It's been the white, tall, six, five rocket arm. That's been the prototype. It has not been the Randall Cunningham. It's not been the Michael Vicks. They've always been the, this, you know, almost like a, uh, a rare like dime like oh look at this guy who can do these kind of different things and they've never been given the respect they've always been looked at more as a novelty 
rather than a legitimate option. Uh, and what happens after that? And now that position is, you know, you can look around the NFL right now and, and how many talented and incredible black quarterbacks there are. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson. You know, you can you can go down the list. Like th- we just named three of the best, like four or five quarterbacks in the NFL, just right in that exact moment. Yeah. So when you realize then historically up until this point, the quarterbacks have been white. Who do you think gets the job out of college to go be an offensive assistant, to go be a grad assistant, right? Yep. It's the quarterback. Because when you're a quarterback, you have to know so much. You are basically an extension of the, uh, you know, an extension of the coaching staff. You have to think like a coach. You have to think about the game like a coach. And in a lot of ways, they know more about the game based off the position that they played. And therefore, quarterbacks are the ones who get the jobs, not black or white, just quarterbacks. Tony Dungy was a quarterback at the University yeah. of Minnesota and a damn good one. They forced him to play corner when he got to the NFL in the 1960s and 70s. And he was a damn good corner. He played for a long time. But part of the reason he was a great coach is because he played quarterback his entire life before getting to the NFL. And now that, again, talk about deep-rooted issues, let's go to college, right? So many black coaches get titles like recruiting coordinator not offensive or defensive coordinator. And again, these have been changing slowly over time, but they're so deeply rooted that they had to instill a rule. Like the fact that there's even a rule that says, if you like, you are incentivized. If you hire a black coach, if you hire a black coach, you get a third round draft pick. We were just talking about how valuable third round draft pick is. How you talk about the word insulting. That's as insulting as anything, Scott. Oh, that is like you have to be compensated. Like, oh, I know you have to deal with a black coach. So here's a draft pick. Like, that's insane. But it goes to show you again that the issue is so deeply rooted that the only way that you could get teams to to interview and hire more black coaches is by essentially paying them to, giving them an incentive to. That that to me is as insulting as anything. And is and then when we talk about the Rooney rule. And everyone just thinks of it as, oh, yeah, it's that you have to hire, you have to interview at least one black candidate. Equal like, opportunity, yeah. Yeah, like equal Please. opportunity exists in every, is supposed to exist everywhere else in the world, but unfortunately, yeah. at least in this country, and unfortunately it doesn't. But for this year in particular, now I think there are a lot of code, like Deshaun Watson, that organization, like they, this, you know, sky was falling, man. Like they were struggling oh, yeah. to keep their heads above water. They went out and got a respected guy in David Culley, who's been an assistant in the NFL for 27 years. Uh, and a lot of people were criticizing him and saying, well, he was the passing game coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens had like the worst passing game in the all of the NFL, which I don't think it's fair to hold that against him because who is the quarterback? Who is the head coach? What kind of offense yeah. are they running? And on top of that, they, he, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do as a passing game coordinator when your team runs read options over and over and over again, because you're not, you know, there's certain things you can do. Um, And I think more than anything, it's stability, you know, but I look at a team like the Eagles, like the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni. I, I had to Google who Nick Sirianni was and I'm (laughs) like, you know me, dude, I'm as locked in as like anybody in the NFL and I like didn't even recognize the name. I was like, it came through on my feed, and I was like, the Eagles hired who? And then I looked up, and and you read some of it. I'm like, all right, I can get behind this. But when Deuce Staley has been there, now this would have been his third head coach. He's now on yeah, staff. Yeah, there's another he, one. 
He asked out of his contract. He was the assistant head coach. He never got a coordinator opportunity in Philadelphia. Twice Twice he was looked over. With with new coaches. Yeah. He was on the staff with Andy Reid before he left. He was on the staff with Chip Kelly. He was on the staff with uh, Doug Peterson, and they wanted him to come back. He had another year left on his contract, and he asked to be removed because of how insulted he was that he wasn't really given a fair shake. He was interviewed when they hired Doug Peterson. So. It, go, it goes to show and, and prove your point, just how f- fucked up this system is and, and how it's set up against black people. Now, we had two people of color hired in this year's cycle, which is great. Robert Sala, the first Muslim head coach uh, to ever, you know, be hired in the NFL, which, again, uh, it's, I miss it's a you positive, already, Robert. <laughs> it's a positive sign moving forward. Um, but to wrap up these guys, it's, you know, Robert Salah. And David Culley, like we said, Nick Sirianni, like we said. Then you had Urban Meyer, which, again, I get you're taking a risk. You're getting a specific guy. That, to me, had – but, again, like, did Jacksonville interview anybody else? I I didn't hear anything about I I don't think that they – Like, I'm sure they did to cross I's and T's, yeah. Yeah. But, ultimately, no, they were just – they knew who their guy was, and they went out and got him. Um, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. Was Tennessee's offense so revolutionary that makes you think Arthur Smith is the guy who also had no. like a bell cow, like one of the most dominant running backs that we've seen yeah. in the NFL? I was gonna say, you know who Adrian carried Peterson? that off? You know who carried that offense? A black man. Okay. Yeah. So how about <laughs> well, that? I will say he is given a lot of credit for for the resurrection of Ryan Tannehill, which is totally fair. But I think you could also make the case that it was just as much Adam Gase screwing up Ryan Tannehill as it was Arthur Smith resurrecting him. Right. And we're talking about a Mike Vrabel led team, you know, the year they made the playoff run, they weren't known for being a good offensive team. They had a strong defense and could run the football this year. They had a a much better offense than they had the year before. Um, But again, Arthur Smith, is he really like blowing your mind there? Uh, And then Sirianni Sirianni and and Dan Campbell in Detroit, which again, you're going after a very, a very specific type of personality that you need there. So um, look, it's a great conversation and it's one that needs to be continually had because right now there are just, there's not enough black head coaches, not enough black coaches, not enough black coordinators, any any people of color. I'm tired of, I'm tired of this, this, this idea that we have to interview them because it's a courtesy and the NFL mandates it. And it comes from the top. I'm yeah. sick of this idea that the NFL is diverse and we have to include it's everybody. So, it's you know? so thinly like, veiled. You don't, bullshit. Yeah. You, don't, you don't care about any of that. All you care about is your money at the end of the day. Whatever's going to make you money is probably the white guy that you're going to put in charge. So, Unfortunately, Scott, that, that has a lot to do with it. Um, it. has a lot to do with it. And it, look, we it, it's not something that when something is so institutionally flawed, it takes a long time to come out of it. It takes a long time to recover from it. And that's not an excuse. It's an explanation. And luckily, we're, we're slowly starting to work into the right direction. Um, and I just hope that I, David yeah. Culley gets a fair shot. And I hope that Eric yeah. Bieniemy, you know, and, and I get it too. When you're, like I said, when, you're, when your organization is reeling and, and falling apart at, at the seams, you just kind of need to bring somebody in to be, you know, you can't wait another three weeks to hire somebody post-Super Bowl. Um, that may not even end up being yeah. the right fit. Because look, Andy Reid still is the one designing those plays. You know, Eric Bieniemy has done an incredible job, and I'm yeah. not underselling him in the slightest. Uh, and someone's going to get a really good head coach when he gets his opportunity to. But um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, great pod today, Scotty. Uh, Vito had to dip out here, but he sends his regards to the listeners. So uh, for Scotty, for Vito, 
I'm Jeff. We'll be back post Super Bowl. We're going to do a whole breakdown, give you our winners and losers from our bets, uh, our picks and everything else as we wrap up the NFL season, what has been one of the most memorable ones that we've, that we've ever, ever really had. So um, rate review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your moms, tell your dads, tell everybody, listen to the show. It's, it's pretty good. That's the, that's the feedback I've gotten so far. So uh, the read option. And you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Scotty, what's your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is S underscore Miller five. I will. I'm creating a Twitter and social media accounts for, for our podcast though. Yeah. That's good. And, and the blog <laughs> is soon to be underway as well. You can follow me at, at Jeff underscore Gimple uh, for the boys. We will talk to y'all after the weekend. Enjoy the game and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend and rest of your week. And we'll talk to y'all soon. All right. Take it easy. Super Bowl.